Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a stone's throw across the Harpeth River from me, it's our offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I haven't been able to coordinate an offense this week because we got postponed due to Harvey paying us a visit. So, um, But no fear, we got uh, Clarksville High School coming up this week. So looking forward to it, but Matt... Man, we got a lot on the slate to talk about. You're right, we do. But we can't talk about it without introducing our third amigo in the second city, a man who has been working his emulator extra hard this weekend. <laughs> it's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. It was depressing about that is I have a regular NES in my living room hooked up to my TV. And I still prefer to play the emulator. Well, you know, that makes two of us, I guess. But, um, you know, usually here on our recap shows, uh, we usually jump into the quick slants, but we're going to just do a quick recap of our picks from last week's show. So, um, Coach, I want to congratulate you on going 4-1 and one this past week. Oh, uh, yeah. We all, Back at it. we all missed out on Washington versus Rutgers. We all picked Washington to cover that 27-point spread. Um, Rutgers showing some serious signs of life back in Piscataway. Uh, you yeah, know. their defense was awesome. Uh, when I was looking at that game for the blog, their defense really only gave up 16 points on long drives. The other 14 came on an interception that set up a very short field and special teams touchdown. That's off to the Scarlet Knight defense. Yeah. Um, Josh, you did not have such a hot week. You went one in four. Uh, what? Yeah, well, uh, we all picked Maryland uh, over Texas, and we're going to talk about that game a lot more later. But uh, besides that, Josh, you picked Middle Tennessee State to beat Vandy, who was favored by three. Vandy rolled. Andy Ludwig looking like an offensive guru right now. Um, but I still stand by it. Josh, <laughs> Josh, you and I also picked NC State to win. South Carolina looked very strong in Charlotte this past week. I stand by that game also. NC State had like 600 yards, and South Carolina had like 150. That's, yeah. I, I, that's, I some like, that's some hyperbole, but the Wolfpack played really well. That was one of those fluky games. Yeah, Coach, actually, you and I were talking about that that game. There was a couple guys from South Carolina who really stood out, um, especially that wide Yeah, I mean, Debo Samuel. Debo yeah, Debo Samuel. Samuel he, uh, he actually – Got my attention last year as a freshman. He played uh, – he kind of burst onto the scene in that Georgia game that, that got uh, delayed because of a hurricane, speaking of which. Um, and uh, he really just couldn't tackle him, couldn't couldn't guard him. Even when he did guard him, he never dropped the ball. Uh, I mean, that, I was like, man, I, I can't wait for this guy to be, be long gone from South Carolina. So, uh, South Carolina, I, I'm, I'm rethinking my – my East standings and uh, I'm, I'm putting South Carolina number two now. Yeah. South Carolina looked, you know, they, their offense looked pretty strong. NC state though did was able to move their ball on their defense. So they're going to have to shore some things up there. Uh, Will Muschamp squad, but that's um, why they're still number two. Uh, 
and, and our other pick'em game was the Texas A&M UCLA game, which we're going to w- get into deep later. Which was the game of the weekend, as far as I was concerned. Uh, Josh, you and I picked UCLA uh, minus four. They got the win, but they did not get the cover. So, Coach, you actually get you actually get the points there on that one. So, yes. but being our weekly recap show, we're going to start out with some quick slants. So, Josh, uh, you're up on the line first. Yeah, my, uh, my quick slant starts with a incident from Friday. So I'm sitting around waiting for the Wisconsin game to start. Decided to check out Florida Atlantic Navy, see the Kiffinator, see Navy's new uniform, see Navy's new starting quarterback. And the ESPN announcer says that uh, you know, Florida Atlantic is such a young program, only beat Division One for, well, and then he says what is now known as FBS. Continue on calling the game. Didn't get how old Florida Atlantic is, but more stressing, FBS and FCS are all Division One. The split between D1A and D1AA happened in the 70s. The FCS-FBS thing has been around for like a decade, if not longer. I don't know how people are still making this confusion. So everyone listening at home, my two co-hosts, let's all say at the same time, FBS and FCS are all Division One. Now we'll do it. One, two, three. FBS FCS and, and FCS, FCS are, are all Division One. Shouldn't be that hard. Think of it like Target. A Super Target has everything. A Target Express has the fewer selection, a little smaller, but they're all under the Target umbrella. That's my quick stand. Target Express? I thought it's called City Target. Or do they oh, change it up? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Coach, what have you got for your first slant? Well, my first slant, uh, I'll, I'll be quick on this one. I'll, it'll be a true quick slant. Um, they're starting to really enforce, like, the, the shorter halftime and, and the halftime clock, and uh, the first victim of that was actually Florida A&M. The, the, the main reason people go to see Florida A&M is because of their band. Their band is and amazing. So their band's amazing. The uniforms, um, not I, so much. The uniforms, they look like orange Sharpies. They're not even highlighters. They're like they're sharpies. Um, I'm not getting paid by Sharpie to say that, by the way. Um, but they were on the field too long. They were just having way too much fun, getting way too turned up. And uh, Florida A&M got a 15 yard, um, I guess, got a 15 yard penalty to start the half. So I just want to say that they're cracking down on this halftime deal. So so band directors, whatever band directors are listening, get your band off the field. It's it's a lot quicker this year. Uh, they're trying to they're trying to speed things up. So kudos to them. Uh, I just thought it was funny that Florida A and M happened to be the first one to get busted. Uh, it doesn't surprise me really, but uh, I like it. It's 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 a fun story. Yeah, definitely. Uh, speaking of band directors, Josh, you know if Michael Lecrone is still uh, guiding the Wisconsin band, he's been there for about oh since I think the Truman administration. Well, he's got the same genetics as Betty White. He looks 105, but he's actually just 20 years old. <laughs> well, speaking of getting on the field, uh, I wanted on my first quick slant to point out a couple of true freshmen who stepped in in their first games and really made a big difference. Uh, we'll start w- on Thursday night with J.K. Dobbins, the uh, freshman running back from Ohio State. Here's a guy who came in um, – 
and, you know, expected to compete for playing time, was a, a high four-star guy on Rivals last year, the number four running back in the country. He had 29 carries for 181 yards, plus two more catches for 24 yards. It's 205 total yards in his debut, really impressing. Another Big Ten running back who looked really good in his first game was Wisconsin's Jonathan Taylor, uh, another four-star from New Jersey. He had nine carries for 87 yards, including breaking off a 41-yarder that looked real strong. He had a score as well. He demonstrated a lot of speed. Sticking in the Big Ten, Kasim Hill came in for an injured Tyrell Pigrome. Um, and even though the box score doesn't necessarily show it, he was fantastic in relief once uh, Pigrome was injured. Only 14 yards rushing, but he was 3-for-3 three three through the air for 44 yards, but super composed the entire time. Speaking of really great quarterback debuts, Josh Jackson. We'll talk about him a lot more, but the Virginia Tech freshman was outstanding. 15-26, uh, 236 yards in a, t- in a score, but was completely in command of that Virginia Tech offense. Um, other, elsewhere in the country, uh, true freshman uh, Chase Hayden, uh, running back at Arkansas, uh, impressed as well. 14 carries, 120 yards. Uh, here's a guy from right here in Nashville, Germantown, uh, Tennessee. Uh, he, uh, you know, he was, again, a really solid all-purpose back four-star type of guy who was able to step in in Burt Bielema's uh, run-heavy system and pick up some serious yards. Um, and two defensive players who stood out to me, one of them, Harrison Hand, uh, who's a corner, a safety, a sort of hybrid defensive back for Baylor. Uh, they did not, Baylor themselves did not have the greatest game. We'll talk about them in my second slant. But he himself, 11 tackles, two pass breakups, uh, really just, uh, you know, a solid player all around. He's another guy from New Jersey, uh, Jerry Hill, another South Jersey guy, just like Jonathan Taylor. Uh, who looked really strong in his debut. And finally, Jalen Phillips, defensive end at UCLA. Uh, this kid was the number two defensive end in the country. Um, big guy, 6'6", 250. Uh, he had two sacks against Texas A&M and was by far the Bruins' best defensive lineman f- throughout the game and was really the only person who was getting consistent pressure on the Texas A&M quarterback. So a couple of guys here who really impressed in their debuts. Uh, Coach, you know, you and I especially talked about Hill uh, uh, when we were hanging out the other day. I know he impressed you as well. Yeah, he did. I mean, just the way he came in and commanded that offense, I mean – yeah, again, he didn't really have a whole lot of time to put up huge numbers, but, you know, the, the biggest number that, that matters is that 1-0 in the win column. And, uh, I mean, it just it just came in. It almost seemed like not only did he not skip a beat, but it just seemed like things got a little bit better for Maryland. And and he just he seemed very poised, very composed, very, in, very much in control. Nothing rattled him. You know, Texas couldn't throw anything at him that was going to knock him off kilter. And he just came in and – you know, finished him off. And, yeah, and you, you also got to credit credit DJ Durkin for not making him try to do anything he couldn't do, but also right. not, but also not making the playbook so small that Texas knew what was going to come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they stayed within. You know, they were still able to do to anything. Be fair, they does Texas to. ever know what anything is going to happen? Well, that's uh, true. I think that's something we're going to have to discuss later. But you saw, you saw the flip side of this in that UCLA game, though, when Texas A and M starting quarterback got. Uh, injured, and they had to bring in their true freshman, Hurd. You could see he was in way over his head. Uh, he was like one for 12, and yeah, he looked there, absolutely awful. There was a reason why they really didn't want to go to him. But another freshman, uh, and as we record this, as we're talking, uh, we're watch, I'm watching uh, The World's Biggest Dilemma, which is uh, 
photo I cheer for, Tennessee or Georgia Tech. Yeah, I, I think we've all got that on right now in the background. Um, a, a true freshman that's getting some significant snaps. He's not the starter yet, but he's getting significant snaps at running back is Ty Chandler. So uh, Ty Chandler out of the Nashville area, um, right down the road at Montgomery Bell Academy. Uh, he's getting some, some pretty good carries for, for, uh, for the Vols. For the Vols, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. You know, the uh, Vols obviously have some, some carries to go around because they graduated uh, some players last year at the running back position. So Yeah, I mean, they still got John Kelly as their as, – uh, he might as well be their returning starter. He, he got a lot of significant time last year, especially when uh, especially when Jalen Hurd was, was injured. Yeah, definitely. So, all right, Josh, uh, you got your second slant for us? I do. Uh, my second slant is a game that I didn't watch a second of. I didn't even know they were facing each other, but I saw the score when I was going over things from the weekend, and it was surprising to me. Cal traveled all the way across the country, went to Chapel Hill, and beat – North Carolina, they had a really gritty effort. They were down at halftime. Uh, they tossed an interception in the second half that led to a very short touchdown drive for North Carolina to reclaim the lead. Cal re- then marches right down the field and takes the lead right back. Then they give up a drive to North Carolina, but they rally, they bend, they don't break. They force a fourth down conversion, and then Cal marches right down the field late in the Fourth quarter to get another touchdown, get up 35-24. Uh, North Carolina got a window dressing touchdown with zero time left to make it 35-30. But that was really impressive for Justin Wilcox's head coaching debut out there for the Golden Bears. Uh, they didn't even play that good. They've got stuff to build on. And they had fewer first downs. Running game just never got going. But uh, – he got an incredible effort in a passing game. Their quarterback, uh, Ross Bowers, had himself a day and found a target that he clearly loves, Vic Wharton the third. Five receptions, 156. Uh, that's a pretty good average. That's average. Uh, 31.2 per catch. Yeah, I'll take that. As for the Tar Heels, uh, it has to be a little bit of a disappointing performance. And Fedora, the hat. I don't know what he's going to do because they've got a legit quarterback controversy. He didn't know who was going to replace Trubisky. Uh, Brandon Harris got the start, did not play particularly well, and then Chaz Surratt came in and was pretty good passing but was really good with his feet, finishing with 66 rushing yards. Interesting to see where these two programs go from here on out. Expectations for both teams a little low, especially – Cal with a brand new coaching staff, but it caught my eye to see the Golden Bears travel across the country and win a game. Yeah, there's also I read a great article in the San Jose Mercury News uh, about Justin Wilcox and sort of his adjustment going from sort of being a defensive coordinator at the West Coast, at Washington, uh, Boise State, USC, then spending a year in Wisconsin and sort of how that really sort of changed his outlook on coaching and sort of how he's brought a lot of the mentalities that you see guys like Paul Christ and Chris Peterson both have in their um, in, in their coaching style. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That was that was a that was a really good read. Uh, Justin Wilcox, a guy who's you know pretty understated, but you know does is obviously off to a good start there. Uh, Coach, what you got for your second slant? Well, my second slant was uh, was something that I, I didn't think we'd make much mention of, but uh, the UGA. Appalachian State game, a game that I played, paid close attention to, obviously. Um, 
it ended up being one of those games. It was 31-10, but uh, the big storyline from that was that Jacob Eason goes down uh, right at the beginning of his third series of action and uh, goes down with an apparent leg injury. Uh, they, they later ruled it to be a sprained LCL. So they're, they're, they're saying he's week to week, but I'm thinking he's going to be out, you know, three to four weeks, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, or they might try to rush him back, depending on how Jake Fromm plays. But Jake Fromm, another one of those freshmen that stepped in, you know, as, as cool as could be, you know, led, led Georgia right down the field, scored a touchdown, and then hadn't looked back since. So um, I, I think you're having a, a true quarterback controversy brewing. I don't want to say there's there's one yet because he hasn't uh, he hasn't played Notre Dame yet and he'll get his chance to, uh, to 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 lace it up against Notre Dame. So, but I mean, you know, if you, if you watch Jake Fromm, you know, there, there wasn't anything that rattled him. Uh, much like Seam Hill, uh, he made all the he made all the right throws. Uh, he he was decisive. He looked like he just had complete command of the huddle and, and the guys just kind of responded really well to him. So. Uh, it was interesting to see, you know, you don't see that very much, a true freshman coming in off the bench thinking he's probably not going to play to the second half. Uh, thinking, you know, all right, I'm just going to chill until midway through the third quarter. We're up 45 to seven, and, and uh, I'm going I'm to go in there and throw a couple of touchdown passes and get some cheers. But, you know, he, he goes in middle, you know, middle of the first quarter and to a standing ovation and, and, and really just takes over that Georgia offense. And, uh, did a tremendous job, got the running game going. Sony and Chubb combined for over 200 yards rushing, almost 250 yards rushing. Uh, you know, a lot of – Javon Wims made a few big catches. I, Isaac Nada made a couple big catches, could have made more. Uh, the defense was probably the most impressive part. Uh, a well-known strength coming into the season showed why they are the strength. Uh, J.R. Reed emerged as a free safety, uh, looked to be very comfortable back there, made a, made a, made a lot of big plays. Uh, Coach, are the dogs going to have a, a Wally Pip situation here? You know, I, we'll see after this week. Uh, big game against Notre Dame coming up. We'll probably preview that here in our next show. But uh, it'd be hard to imagine a, a scenario where Jake Fromm goes into South Bend and wins and, and maybe even wins decisively. I can't see a scenario where, you know, you give it back to Jacob Eason. Um, Which is interesting. But, you know, just a couple of years ago, Eason was the number one quarterback recruit in the country. Absolutely. I mean, he was. And, and uh, you know, we had to fight to, to, to keep him. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be it's gonna be interesting coming down the stretch. I mean, Jake Fromm is a five-star quarterback as well. So it's not like they're replacing him with a slappy. So, um, but uh, – uh, a name to watch out for on Georgia's defense, number three, Roquan Smith, uh, middle linebacker. He's uh, he's going to be an absolute stud in, in, the, in the middle of that defense for for Georgia. But overall, a great game against a against a really good Sun Belt program, a, a team that is that is picked unanimously by us and a lot of people to win the Sun Belt. A team that is known as Giant Killers, um, the Appalachian State Mountaineers. Uh, they weren't Mountain Killers this past weekend. Georgia kind of handled them. Uh, the way they, the way they probably felt like they should have, but defense really came came out to play. And the punter, good lord, uh, he got plenty of work early on. Uh, just had a just had a rocket for a leg. So uh, it's you know, it's going to be it's going to be exciting. It's going to be an exciting week this week to see what Georgia can do up in South Bend. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a fun one. Well, for my final slant, um, I wanted to point out a couple of FCS schools who did some did some yeoman's work knocking off uh, some of the FBS programs. 
And uh, we will start actually down at East Carolina, where reigning national champs uh, in FCS, James Madison, uh, put the hammer down on the Pirates. Um, one of one of our, our mutual friends, uh, one of uh, the groomsmen from my wedding, Tyler, was at the game, and he said uh, the score doesn't even do it justice. James Madison won 34-14, but he said it probably should have been about 45-7. to seven. Uh, This game really wasn't that close. Um, the Pirates debuted uh, former Duke signal caller Thomas, don't call me Douglas Sirk. Um, and, uh, but honestly, the Pirates as a team had no offense. Sirk threw two picks. Pirates ran for only 70 yards as a team on 30 carries. That is just over two yards a pop. Not very good. On the flip side, James Madison Cardin Johnson had himself quite a game. 265 yards and two scores on the ground. Uh, those were 80 and 85-yard scampers. So he averaged better than 15 yards a carry. Um, on the day, the reigning FCS national champs had 422 yards rushing and 614 yards of total offense. Uh, backup running back Marcus Marshall also ripped off a 70-yard score as well. Um, and like I said, like the score isn't even indicative of how dominant the Dukes were. Uh, ECU scored their second touchdown with only 23 seconds left in the game to cut the lead to 20. Uh, Really dominant performance by a team that might be poised to make a really strong run at back-to-back national titles. Um, Elsewhere in the country, uh, Josh... um, Howard beat UNLV 43 to 40. Can you name the former ACC coach who is now the head man for Howard? Uh, well, by ACC, I think you mean Big 12 because it's Turner Gill, right? No, it is not. It's Mike London. Oh, where's Turner Gill? Uh, I, I don't know where Turner Gill is. I think but... Turner Gill might be at Richmond. Okay, well. Is my, uh, I, I said it so confidently, too. Yeah. Ooh, he's at Liberty. There we go. Yeah, well, we're going to get to Liberty here in a second. I knew I I heard his name this weekend. (laughs) Well, um, the Howard Bison rushed for 309 yards as a team and four scores on their way to the biggest upset of the weekend, uh, at least in terms of point spreads. It was the biggest upset in the history of Las Vegas. Typically, FBS versus FCS games don't have lines, but because it was UNLV, um, you know, the good folks at the casinos in Las Vegas always put a line in UNLV games. They were uh, 43 point or 45 point favorites and Howard absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely put on a performance uh, led by Kalen Newton, who was a little brother of a guy we'd like to call Cam Newton, a uh, former Heisman trophy winner from Auburn. He threw for 140 in a score, rushed for another 190 in two scores, including a 52 yarder to start the scoring early on in the first quarter. UNLV coughed up three fumbles in the game, including one that was returned for a 75 yard score by uh, Bison linebacker Devin Rollins. Uh, and the whole game, the Rebs looked really out of sort. Um, you know, the one bright sp- spot for the denizens of Sin City was their running back, Lexington Thomas, who had 151 yards and two touchdowns. But it's not like Howard is some sort of FCS powerhouse like James Madison. In the past two years, Josh, take a guess at what Howard's record was. Last two years, uh, I'm going to say... I'll give you a hint. They, they, played, 20, wins? they, they played 22 games. 
I'm going to go with three and 19. You hit the nail right on the head. Three and 19 is correct. Um, I, I had to have read that somewhere. There's no way I pulled that out of my behind. Um, including some glorious games against FBS opponents, such as losing to App State, 49 nothing. Boston, they lost to Boston College, 76 to nothing, and losing to Rutgers, 52 to 14. So, well, you know, Boston College that year finished with 77 points scored, so that was pretty impressive. How do you score one point in a game? They found a way. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Are you doubting Boston College's anemic offense? Uh, No, I'm not doubting it at all. Uh, But you just spoke of Turner Gill. His uh, his Liberty squad had uh, spoiled uh, Matt Rule's debut at Baylor um, as the Bears fell to the Flames, 48-45. to Um, That vaunted defense that Rule led at led at Baylor, did not show up at all. Liberty quarterback Stephen Calvert was 44 for 60 for 447 yards and three scores and no picks. Um, their wide receiver, Antonio Gandy-Golden, 13 catches, 192 yards and two scores. Um, Baylor was breaking in um, a new quarterback for them, but not new to uh, fans of the Pac-12. That's former Arizona signal caller Anu Solomon. He had a rough first outing, 14-29 to for 278 yards. Three touchdowns, uh, but also had a pick, less than 50% completions. Um, and shout-out to Liberty kicker Alex Probert. He had himself a nice game going 4-4. Four for four. Um, Finally, uh, Tennessee State beat Georgia State 17-10 in the opening of Turner Field as a football venue. Uh, Former Florida quarterback Treon Harris led the way for the Tigers uh, to a victory in this defensive struggle. Um, He had 145 yards through the air and 91 on the ground. But most importantly, unlike his time at Florida, he had zero turnovers. Uh, The Tigers' D was really stout all game, giving up – uh, Georgia State only had 1.7 yards per carry and less than 50 total yards on the ground. The Panther, Georgia State Panthers had four turnovers, which does not help. And a new defensive coordinator at Tennessee State, Gary Fisher, uh, not to be confused with uh, the bike overlord, must be very happy with their performance. Um, a couple of quick other games uh, in featuring FCS foes that did not quite uh, make it over the hump, but had some very impressive outings. Uh, Pitt needed overtime to beat Youngstown State. Oregon State barely beat Portland State 35-32. to uh, Louisiana Lafayette uh, uh, only beats uh, Southeastern Louisiana 51-48. And Central Michigan needed three overtimes to beat Rhode Island 30-27. to So some really nice uh, some, some really nice uh, outings by FCS squads all over the country. Well, that's what you would expect from Division One programs. Wait, wait, FCS is Division One. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I, I got to ask, Matt. Yeah. Uh, when you when you talk to uh, Tony Sanchez over at UNLV, ask him how it feels to be the second best football program in Las Vegas. Yeah, so, I, I think Bishop Gorman. I, I, I would love to see Bishop Gorman versus UNLV. It would be a lot. That would be a great college Raiders, game right there. Are the Raiders third then? Oh, well, they're not there quite yet. Yeah, they're not there yet. They're, st- they're still Oakland right now. Yeah, they got a couple more years. But um, that's it for our quick slants. Uh, my, my second quick slant was more of a, a slant and go, a little bit longer there than usual. But uh, time for us to get into some deep roots. So uh, we're going to start with the most anticipated game of the weekend. That obviously was the game in Atlanta featuring Alabama and Florida State. 
a lot of hype, a lot of hoopla coming into the game. Obviously, number one versus number three, you never see that at opening weekend. But uh, the, the game was really all about Alabama. Coach, I was over at your house. We were watching this together. And Florida State, especially after DeAndre Francois went down, really never had a chance, did they? No, I mean, you saw the win go right out of their sails as soon as that happened. They were they were hanging with them for a while, and they just they just couldn't finish drives. They couldn't, you know, they, they'd move the ball a couple of times, and then all of a sudden they'd stall out. And it just, you know, Bama just, again, put their talent on display. I mean, you had Sean Dion Hamilton uh, just making plays in the middle. You had Minka Fitzpatrick, who was all over the place. Felt like he was on the right, then he was on the left, then he went from left to right. I mean, he was just all over the place. And that Alabama defense is just unbelievable. And uh, they suffocated Florida State, wore them down. And uh, Florida State just couldn't hang with this war of attrition. And speaking of conditioning, Tennessee is getting there, is getting ran out of the building, by the way. Anyway, uh, but uh, this game, you know, again, it was all about Francois. He, he's there. He's their emotional leader. He made some really good throws early on in the game and, and kept Florida State in it. But, soon, yeah, you're right, man. As soon as he went down, it was it was downhill from there. Yeah, and, you know, Alabama won the turnover battle here, and that was always going to be a big key to the game. Florida State, yeah. three turnovers, two picks, and a lost fumble. Alabama, zero turnovers. Not a whole lot of offense in this game. Florida State, 250 total yards. Alabama, only 269 total yards. So a lot of defense, a lot of punting. Um, we saw – um field position yeah jk scott um who flubbed one off the side of his foot real bad the returning all-american punter besides that looked real strong um ricky aguayo for florida state the kicker uh looking like his brother uh should get cut uh missed his only field goal attempt so uh not not sound in the kicking game being sound in the kicking game by the way theme of the weekend and we'll talk about that more uh with maryland texas but hey, hey matt I, I think saturday night we broke the record for how many games we could watch in a row i, I think we might have uh, that, we, that was... we, fl- we flipped between six games at least, and it, you know what? And it wasn't a dull moment the entire time. Not at I, all. I, I grilled up some uh, jalapeno cheddar brats, and uh, we had ourselves a grand old time. Oh yeah. So, uh, Josh, you got any thoughts here on uh, Knowles and Todd? Well, uh, I mean, we touched on the special teams. That was an absolute F minus minus for Florida State. Tough to beat anyone nationally ranked, let alone a top five team, let alone Alabama. If you're going to have on one of those Division Two FCS teams, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a critical phase of the game give you nothing and actually be a net negative time and time again, it's going to be hard to beat anybody. Uh, it was nice to see the Big Ten refs um, miss a obvious defensive pass interference. Uh, that's what they do best. Um, but I will say this: you know, Florida State's defense incredible. And the blueprint is there again to beat Alabama. Jalen Hurts, 10 of 18, 96 yards. Uh, outside of Calvin Ridley, really no one is a scary wide receiver, uh, to be perfectly honest, for they, Alabama. They didn't have another wide receiver catch a pass. Exactly. Uh, so uh, Harris and Bo Scarborough each caught one, and Jalen Hurts himself caught a pass. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, if you're – to be honest, if you're Auburn, if you're, 
in the playoffs, if you're LSU, if you're playoffs, if you're Georgia, maybe in the SEC title game, you just pop this tape in and see how they played Alabama. And, you know, this is a good Alabama team. I'm not sure this is one of Saban's best. Yeah, this may not be a truly vintage Alabama team, but, you know, obviously they've got talent. um, But uh, Florida State was really boosted by the return of Derwin James. Uh, Obviously, he was injured early in the season last year, and you can tell he really commands that defense. And he was able to sort of help uh, sort of, you know, dictate where uh, Jalen Hurts was going to try to throw the ball. And, you know, it was – you know, for the most part, besides the one touchdown to Ridley, they did a really, really nice job. Obviously, the one big uh, touchdown to Ridley was a 53-yarder, and uh, that was that was sort of the one big play from the entire game. But aside from that, uh, I think both of these defenses really showed that um, they are championship levels. Now, the offenses, they need to get going. but um, Well, Alabama's best quarterback is sitting on the bench right now. I think that's Tua Tagovailoa, um, the, the new kid from Hawaii. Yeah, that kid's he's our got, best quarterback. That kid has a howitzer attached to his right shoulder, and he's more of a. Unless you're talking, he's a, unless you're talking about Timmy Chen, I don't want to hear about a Hawaii quarterback. <laughs> yes, really, no love for Colt Brennan. Nah, I'm a Timmy fan all the way. My my one memory of Colt Brennan was I was I was uh, on the front row in the Superdome when Georgia dressed in black jerseys, just put an absolute beat down on Hawaii. And the one play that yeah, always sticks in my mind. That was the Sugar Bowl, right? The, the Sugar Bowl. Like 13-0. Yeah, Colt Brennan is sitting about a yard into the end zone. He's looking He's looking to his uh, He's looking to his right. And Marcus Howard comes and hits him right up under the chin and just destroys him. Ball pops out. Marcus Howard pops up and recovers the fumble. That was, that's my memory of Colt Brennan. Getting just leveled. And I think that's the last time he ever played significant football. Yes. Well, uh, let's uh, uh, let's keep talking uh, big non-conference matchups with uh, Michigan and Florida. Josh, the only thing uglier than Michigan's uniforms in this game was Florida's offense. (laughs) Yeah. um, Zero, zero, zero offensive line for Florida. They were like an aluminum can just getting crushed. Every play, it seemed like 11 rushing yards, that was it. Uh, Franks, Felipe Franks, the freshman quarterback, pretty ineffective. And then yeah, Malik- notice how I did not talk about him in my uh, standout freshman segment. Yeah, yes. uh, Malik Zaire, even worse, I thought. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think the suspensions mattered based on how the game played out. And I don't think Florida even belonged on this field. They didn't look like a ranked team. They didn't look like a well-coached team. And one of the reasons why I want to talk about why I don't think they were particularly well-coached is I don't know why Luke Del Rio wasn't given at least a crack to be out there. When Franks is a freshman and Zaire had been on campus for a month, Del Rio, I know his numbers last year weren't, amazing they were pretty pretty pedestrian but he at least played against SEC defenses uh he at least shows some competency in the passing game 
where I think Franks is a little too raw, and I don't think Zaire has ever shown competency in the passing game. Terrible job by McIlwain, and I feel like I've seen enough on McIlwain. I don't think he's going to be the, the coach that gets Florida over the hump. In fact, I think this Gator team almost looks worse than they did under Muschamp. Ooh, that's bold. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. One of the one of the weakest points of this Florida team was their offensive line coming into the season. That was part of my preview. I remember talking about that being, you know, the, the one reason I don't like Florida to repeat as SEC East champs is because their offensive line. Now they have Jordan Scarlett, they have Callaway, uh, Felipe Franks was a you know highly thought of quarterback coming out of high school, but. Apparently, none of that matters. Uh, I mean, if, if they don't score on defense, they're not scoring. I mean, I was watching the game, and one guy who stood out to me, you know, former five-star recruit Marquez Ivy, who I thought was going to be an all-world tackle. He's been bumped into guard, and he was just getting, you know, routinely destroyed by Rashawn Gary and, you know, the rest of that uh, defensive line for Michigan. And, you know, that Michigan defense, I know they, were, they don't have a lot of starters coming back, but they, they look strong. But I'm actually, you know. I, speaking I'm of sure. freshman, Tariq Black, too. You had mentioned Tariq Black. Tariq Black looked real good. Yeah. So. Um, he, looked like, he looked like he belonged. He looked like a big-time receiver. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the other guys who sort of really uh, stood out in this game, um, for, for Michigan at least, um, Ty Isaac, the senior running back, finally sort of, getting, um, sort of getting his turn at the top of the rotation. He was splitting carries. Uh, he was splitting carries with Chris Evans, but he looked far more explosive than Evans did. Evans had one rush for 29 yards, and besides that, he had 21 other carries for 49 yards. So, uh, but uh, Ty Isaac, uh, you know, he, he showed me a little bit something there for Michigan. Um, but one thing, you know, all of the pundits seem to be talking about um, Michigan today, but Wilton Spate did not have himself exactly a great game. 11 for 25 with not one, but two pick sixes. So I don't think that, you know, Michigan obviously still has a lot of work left to do on. Well, you know, I was, I was thinking about this and Wilton played really good last year. And then it has to sit through all off season, hearing that he's not the go-to guy, hearing that there's a quarterback controversy, not wanting to release the playbook and or release the, the depth chart. You gotta wonder what's going on in his mind and his like worrying that one bad pass is gonna get him yanked. We saw Ohio State do the same thing a couple of years ago with Cardell Jones and JT Barrett that screwed both of them up. I think it's on Harbaugh for Wilton Speed struggling, to be quite honest. I'm I'm hundred percent with you there. Yeah, I, I can't disagree there. And uh Willie O'Corn. I mean, if you just need to go with one and and, and get behind him and, and give him full support and this whole and it, it screwed Spurrier, too, back in his days when he would just yank quarterbacks for throwing incomplete passes. And so, you know, you can't have a two-quarterback system. It doesn't work. All right. Well, I think that's enough there on that relatively ugly football game. Uh, let's get to a game that was a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. Um, that was the Black Diamond Trophy. Uh, Virginia Tech beating West Virginia 31-24. Josh Jackson, man, 
What a mm-hmm. debut. 235 yards and a score through the air. Uh, 11 carries for 101 yards and another score on the ground. Most importantly, zero turnovers for the freshman. Uh, first true freshman to start a, at quarterback uh, since Michael Vick. Um, and he really had himself a game. But on the flip side, Will Greer, uh, you know, uh, coming over from Florida, looked pretty good for the Mountaineers as well. Josh, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? Well, I thought both of these teams had really high ceilings. Like, both can compete for their conference title. Both have outside chances of the playoffs if everything aligns for them and they get a few upsets along the way. I was just curious about their quarterbacks. And, frankly, I'm sold. Both these teams are going to be tough outs. I still like Oklahoma better. I still like Clemson better. But – Damn, these are some really, really good ball clubs. Uh, from West Virginia, I just want to see them get the ball to their running back, Justin Crawford, a little bit more. 13 carries, 106 yards. Uh, I would like to see him a lot closer to 20 carries, quite frankly. And then uh, Virginia Tech, the game was closer than it should have been probably because they have a really good kicker in Joey Sly. Just off. I, I think he'll figure it out. He's one of the ACC's best kickers, but one of three on uh, field goals today. But my takeaway is, man, these two teams found themselves quarterbacks. Yeah, so I, I absolutely agree with you. There's one play where I thought, oh, here we go. This is going to be a blowout where uh, Will Greer was on fourth down, and he tried a little rollout and tried to dump it over a Virginia Tech defender, Virginia Tech defender. Defensive end, uh, I think he wore number 94, jumped up and intercepted it. So uh, I was thinking, I was thinking, man, this game's going to get ugly. And, you know, it never did. Will Greer bounced back. He made some very decisive rocket throws. Um, they just spread the ball out. You know, Dana Holgerson had, had them guys in rhythm. Will Greer looked very comfortable back there. And Florida's probably kicking themselves for letting him slip away. And well, I mean, they, they, they were put in a tough position when he got popped for PEDs, um, you know. but uh, Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, you're right. And uh, – but they're still probably going, man, maybe we should have just overlooked that. Yeah, I know. Well, you know. But you can't, so. You, you can't. And one of the big beneficiaries of that was Gary Jennings, uh, the wide yes. receiver on West Virginia. Who, boy. 13 catches, 189 yards, and a score. He he was uncoverable. You know, Virginia Tech, uh, you know, some people call it DBU. I don't call it DBU, but they produce a lot of good DBs there. In their well, as, as, good, as good as their defense played, Last night, I, I thought that Gary Jennings was was the uh, was the bright spot for West Virginia. He scored on a sixty yard touchdown. Um, you know, for every play they for every two plays they made on defense, you know, West Virginia made a play, made a big play on offense, and it was just one of those really well fought games where both sides played extremely well on you know on offense and defense and special teams, and and it just happened to be Virginia Tech came out on top. West Virginia could have very easily won that game. It was, it was a very, it was exactly what you wanted to see in a football game. Some plays made here, some plays made there, some big plays made on defense. I think all around these two teams played extremely well. And uh, both teams are going to be forces to be reckoned with within their conference. Maybe not, maybe not ready to compete for their conference championship, but again, they're going to be a tough out. I think Virginia Tech's going to be more of a tough out in, uh, in that, was it the coastal Atlantic 
division, something like that. I think they're in the Atlantic. I think Clemson's in the Coastal, but I could be completely mistaken. They're on the same side with Miami, I believe. They are. So they're going to make it difficult on Miami to win the the division. But, you know, I I really like Justin Fuente and what he's done with this Virginia Tech team. I really think Dana Holgerson is is starting to kind of, you know, get that team going in the right direction. And in a week, Big 12, you really truly never know. You, you really don't. And, you know, I picked up Oklahoma- the presses, by the way, Tennessee just had a finally a beautiful offensive play. It took them all day, but they got the score to seven. Well, we got, we got 20 seconds left here in the third quarter. So, um, you know, we'll probably finish up the pod here before the game finishes, but um, to put a bow on, on this game, you know, both, like you guys said, both these teams are going to be. What color is that bow? Um, I, I think that I think well the bow has obviously got to be that ugly maroon and orange combination that Virginia Tech wears, um, yes. but um, you know also uh, their middle linebacker um, Andrew Mutapaka uh, or Mutapuaka he was everywhere for the Hokies yesterday twelve tackles a sack a couple extra hurries he was. He, he was really outstanding for that defense. So, um, but let's let's head down to Austin, and uh, there was, you know, th- there were two games this weekend that were just su- superlative fun to watch. This was uh, this was one of them, Maryland versus Texas. Josh, you and I picked Maryland in this game, and I'm really glad we did. I talked about Kasim Hill a little bit earlier. But, man, DJ Durkin looking real good right now. Uh, in, you know, the, as a team, they were able to run all over Texas, 263 yards and four scores. Josh, uh, what, what enabled the Terps to take down the Longhorns? Uh, vintage Longhorn defense. Uh, same, same problems, new coach, new year. Uh, A&M just doesn't – or A&M. A&M doesn't have a defense either, but uh, – you know, Longhorns just do not play the defense. There was one highlight where they had a uh, run blitz on and the linebackers ran in the wrong holes. They were shifted over. Each of them ran one hole to the left and they should have the play. And Maryland runs it right at the gut for like 15 yards. Like just constantly out of position, left and right, their special teams – I wouldn't say it was a net negative because they did get one of the blocks back. But, I mean, the special teams had issues. And let's just be honest that Tom Herman has a really high ceiling as a hire, but also has a really low basement because he's only been a coach for two years, and he inherited a really good Houston team. So he was given a turnkey program. He hasn't had to build something, and Houston in his two years got worse over his time. And people are talking about Todd Orlando, Todd Orlando. Well, for as good a time that Houston had in some games, they got run out of the building in others, like the SMU game last year. So, you know, I think Herman put it best that Texas fans thought he was going to come in and sprinkle some fairy dust, and the Longhorns were going to be really good. I was honestly a little surprised this team was ranked coming this year. And they played like I, frankly, expected them to. And they finished, you know, with a bad defense. Again, I don't have them competing for 
the conference title. The yeah. OT team, they got a good quarterback. This is not a good Texas team. Well, you know, a lot of people had them, you know, you know, a lot of I saw a lot of prognosticators saying they're going to finish, you know, second in the Big 12. I had them finishing sixth. And I, I had them fourth, and I already wish I had put West Virginia ahead of them. Yeah, I, I well, mean, in a weak conference, you never know. They could get hot and compete. They could, but I still think that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, uh, TCU, and Kansas State are all better than Texas right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you something else that's a big issue. I talked about the defense, but I, I forgot to bring this note up. The rushing game, terrible. 98 rushing yards on 31 carries. Uh, when Shane Oakley, whatever, I hate him. Michelle. Michelle, I always butcher it. When he has your most carries for a team and a second on your leading rusher, uh, you've got an issue because last time I checked, he's a pocket passer. Yeah, he's a definition of a pocket passer. <laughs> but, uh, Coach, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the third phase uh, because in this game we had both teams block a field goal and return it for a touchdown. We yep. had uh, Texas's uh, wide receiver um, Reggie Hempel Maps return a punt 91 yards for a touchdown, and then mm-hmm. on the next play, Ty Johnson returns uh, the kickoff for 62 yards. So just shoddy shoddy uh work in the kicking game all around well i mean you had uh shoddy work in the uh coverage teams but you know your return teams a plus plus your coverage teams d minus uh and then your field goal your your field goal extra point team gets a big fat f and uh whoever this i wonder how much they pay this guy on tennessee sideline just to carry on this trash can i've been wondering that the entire game uh i think i even sent a message over our chat i can't even make my point because this guy's just walking around he's just carrying and he's just walking around and uh people are dunking into it it's it's a whole dog and pony show this i i really i'm i think i'm becoming a tech fan tonight i really hope tennessee just gets shellacked here you know that trash can is where this program belongs exactly but uh back to uh matters at hand here uh special teams well i mean you know with every good play you get you know there's some coverage unit that fails somewhere and you know both teams made plays in the kicking game and that's you know that's how texas was able to stay in it and that's how maryland was able to get the edge Um, also also what what hurt Texas before before you do that is a, is the fourth phase which is the penalty flag they had 11 penalties for 117 yards and any any good thing they did on offense it was usually wiped away well and you see 41 points for Texas you think okay you know you know obviously got some things to work on defense but you know 41 points pretty good don't forget they had a blocked field goal return for a touchdown they had a punt return touchdown and they had a pick six so the offense actually only put up 20 points against the Maryland team. Well, don't get me wrong. DJ Durkin, a good defensive coordinator when, during his time in Michigan, but you know, Maryland does not have all the talent in the world on defense. They put up, they basically put up 20 points. You know, that yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't anything impressive. They got, they got points in other areas and, you know, took Bouchelle, advantage of some short fields and things Bouchelle like that. Michelle had 375 yards, but it took him 52 attempts to get there. 
So, you know, not not pretty for the Longhorn faithful. It's obviously been a very long last week and a half down in Texas. So, you know, you can, you know, you can understand how, you know, some of these kids might have their minds elsewhere, especially the kids from the Houston area. But, you know, still, I think that Texas expects more than what they got here. So, you know, and Josh, I know you were reading a bunch of the message boards after the game. Um, and I think – are people calling for Tom Herman's job already? Uh, I mean, some are. A&M fans are also up in arms. And Well, let's – you know what? Let, 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 let's well, I was going to say both fan bases are spitting out the same name, and you're going to hear this name over and over and over until he gets another job. That's Chick Kelly. Oh, well, speaking of Texas A&M, let, let's move to what was the singular most fun game of oh, – Hang on, Matt. Hang on. Um, sorry, Josh Rosen just threw another touchdown pass. Oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Uh, sorry, uh, Texas A&M. Still- Off a fake spike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which they had just gone out of bounds, so you don't even need to spike the ball then. Yeah, that's that's some good coaching right there, you know, knowing for A&M, knowing the, the rules of the game are – it's a good place to start. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, you know now that uh, Texas A&M was leading 44-10 to 10 midway through the third quarter, and then uh, Chosen Rosen came alive. Uh, he, he finished the game with 491 yards and four touchdowns, including 292 yards and three scores in the fourth quarter alone. Uh, this was, I, uh, you know, at, at halftime, I mean, you guys know, obviously, UCLA is my second team, um, and I always root for the Bruins. And, you know, it was halftime. I was thinking, do I really want to stay up and watch this? I guess I'll stay up and watch, you know, West Virginia, Virginia Tech. That game is fun. But, you know, I, I'll keep checking in on it. And it gets, it, it gets you know, it's halftime. Texas A&M is leading 38-10. to 10. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, what, what have I gotten into? Why did I believe in UCLA again this year? And then uh, Starkle gets hurt for Texas A&M, and uh, Mond comes in, their true freshman quarterback, and he can't do anything. And so all of a sudden, UCLA is putting eight, nine guys in the box. And Travion Williams, who'd been having himself a game up until that point, now he can't, you know, he can't run anymore. Uh, Ford can't break loose. And all of a sudden, uh, something happens. And Rosen turns into the guy who's going to be the number one pick in the draft next year. Um, it didn't matter that the team could not run the ball. Uh, when you throw for 491 yards, uh, that is, you know, something that is truly, truly outstanding. And that comeback, um, I tweeted this out last night. Um, I, you know, I grew up as a Buffalo Bills fan, which is torture unto itself, but I watched the Frank Reich come back in the wildcard games versus the Oilers. And I thought nothing would ever top that uh, in terms of a comeback. And I think that UCLA uh, beating Texas A&M in the way that they did topped it because they didn't need overtime like the Bills did. So, um, well, the, well, that was also for a trip to the Super Bowl, which why, which no, why no, I think... it, was just, it was just for a trip to the second round. Oh, was it? Oh uh, yeah. Right. It was a wildcard game. So that's right. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, Josh, um, uh, I, I know that these uh, Texas A&M man, like where do you go from here when you're, if you're Kevin someone, you've got to look in the mirror, every coach on that staff, just a fundamental, absolute breakdown in everything. And you, know, you can point to, Whoa, that one touchdown pass, went through the hands of the receiver. If he had just made that play, 
you know, it's not fun to throw a kid under the bus, so I'm not going to blame it because it's purely on the coaching. I want to talk about a couple things. Uh, you mentioned young freshman Kellen Mond coming in for Starkle. And unless I missed something that he was in trouble, suspended, or hurt in camp, last time I checked Jake Hubenek, standing on that sideline for AM. This is a senior quarterback who has uh, last year had 800 passing yards, almost 900, had six touchdowns, just two picks. He went up against SEC defenses. How is he not in the game when you have a kid who can't hit the broad side of the barn right now because he's a young freshman, not a pocket passer? Coaches' jobs, last time I checked, is to put the players in the best position to succeed. They didn't put Mond in the best position to succeed, and they sure as heck didn't put the rest of their offense in the best position to succeed. Then the special teams, you have a really solid kicker in Daniel LaCamrera, was 3-3 of on the day for a field goal late in the game that would have made it 47-31 and probably put the lead too far out there with only three and a half minutes left. Who do they send out there? They send out Braden Mann, who hadn't attempted a kick yet all day. He missed it, came up short. He didn't and just I miss know, it. He, 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 that was a bad kick. Yeah, and I mean, we know close. Well, we know it wasn't injury related because when AM got the ball back down one point, hoping for a miracle field goal, La Camarera was warming up. So why is man out there kicking that? And then last but not least, some delightful, terrible play calling when it was 44-38 with 3-10 left. That's when uh, the kickoff happens, the 3-10 left kickoff, and has – the ball, two minutes, 54 seconds left. And UCLA had two timeouts. Adam went run, timeout UCLA, incomplete pass, run, timeout UCLA, took off all of 30 seconds. Why is that incomplete pass in there? Especially, Just, especially at that point when, when your quarterback is like two for 13. Yeah, I, I mean, just run the ball three times force UCLA to use their timeouts, and you take off 40 seconds. I mean, even when they were putting eight guys in the box, Texas A&M was still getting some push on the line. They finished yeah. the game with 382 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to put this on a single player. Total coaching meltdown, and it starts with Kevin Sumlin. And I texted both of you guys this right after the game. Barring a run to Atlanta or – even if they come up short of making it to the title game in that, the SEC title game, they got to knock off Alabama. They got to knock off LSU. They got to pull some upsets and win eight, nine, ten games. And I don't see that happening. I, I think someone, it's a matter of when, not if at this point he gets fired. Yeah, coach. Uh, you know, when, and we were talking uh, earlier today, uh, Texas A&M's defense in the second half turned into third and Chavis. Yeah, third and Chavis is, uh, if you ask Tennessee fans, they'll tell you uh, tonight they probably wish they had third and Chavis, but um, it, it's basically it's third and 10, and they give you a 12-yard cushion to complete a ball, 
that's third and Chavis. But and uh, they it reared its ugly head last night in the second half, and uh, I don't know why. I just have this like we Matt and I were talking about irrational hate towards hatred towards teams that makes completely no sense for me. It's Texas A and M. It makes no sense why I hate them, but I do. I, 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 it's for, for me too. Texas A and M has always been one of my irrational hatred. Teams. Touchdown Tennessee. Whoever this number one guy is, Callaway. Whoever that is, he's a stud. He's caught two touchdowns. Um, um, the one guy. One I, other I don't guy think it's. I don't think it's irrational to hate Texas A and M. They've got a bunch of annoying things about their that, team. That that is around. true. But why? Why do you not have a four minute package? Uh, if you're Texas A&M, why, why do you not have things that you can go to that eat clock? I know you're, you're a spread up tempo football team and that's what you live and die by. But I mean, you've got to have something, but Josh, that can, even the, that can eat clock. Yeah. I mean, even the possession before the one you were talking about, they were snapping the ball with 15, 20 seconds left on the game clock when they were up by two scores, like slow the game down. Uh, I mean, they're not, they're not well coached and, it's as simple as that. I mean, on the UCLA side, though, um, one guy who stood out uh, was tight end Caleb Wilson. He was completely uncoverable. 15 catches, 208 yards, and it seemed like every single time on third down when Josh Rosen needed uh, to find an open target, Caleb Wilson was open. Either there were no Texas A&M defenders around him or, you know, there were, and he just kind of sh- he just kind of threw him off. He's a big dude. Only um, only a sophomore listed at six four two thirty five. He looks like he's about six six out there though. He is a large large young man. I'm pretty sure uh, Brock Heward said it best during the telecast. He said the tight end is always open. And you know what? He was. He caught 15 balls in this game. His entire season last year, he caught 16 balls. So. Um, you know, a phenomenal game for Caleb Wilson. I think uh, he hey, is. Chavis, I got a hint for you. Covered the tight end. Yeah, I think he, <laughs> he's probably getting it. He he's a star in the making for them. Um, you know, Darren Andrews had himself a knife game as well as the wide receiver. Um, but the guy who caught the winning touchdown uh, for uh, for the Bruins, Lasley, he had to make up for himself because there was a there was a third down play a couple plays before that where the ball hits him squarely in the hands and he just straight up drops it, Jordan Lasley. Uh, and I thought, I was like, at, at that point I was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it just happened. You know, you, you don't have an easier catch than that one. But he made up for it. Great job on the fade. I hate the fade route. But the fake, the fake spike fade route there worked uh, like, like he was Dan Marino for, for Rosen. So – you know, any any last thoughts here on this game, Josh? Yeah, I wish Iowa had scheduled a <laughs> <laughs> For the first half, I thought George. Uh, for the first half, I was I was wondering if Georgia could uh, get UCLA on the schedule for uh, at last minute, and then then I realized, damn, I wish we were playing a And M instead of Mississippi State. Well, uh, Wisconsin just scheduled a home and home with UCLA in twenty twenty nine and twenty thirty. So. Uh, you know, I think I'll have to go to that one, but by that time I might be uh, registering for AARP. AARP. So um, I think that is going to do it here for us tonight, fellas. So a uh, nice little recap. Guys, football's back. It feels so good. I'm so excited. Week two, uh, next weekend, we're going to have a preview coming for you later this week. But uh, any, any any final words here, Josh? 
Uh, no, I just was really, really impressed with, with some teams that I just wanted a couple answers done, and I got them in that Virginia Tech-West Virginia game. That was a fun night of football last night. It almost made me forget about all the exciting stuff we saw on Saturday. That's how good yes. Sunday was. Sunday was, Sunday had two games. In the two games on Sunday, the Virginia, the Virginia Tech-West Virginia and Texas A&M-UCLA were two of the most exciting football games I, you know, I can remember, and this is coming off of obviously last year's national championship game, which was phenomenal, an amazing bowl season topped by that Rose Bowl between USC and Penn State. So obviously, you know, a great start to the season. Uh, week two is now upon us, and we will be ready for it, previewing it for you a little bit later on this week. So on behalf of our intrepid- Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, coach. You're not going to – I want to give I want to give two big shout outs to okay. uh, a couple of teams we've been railing on. Okay, shout okay. out to Kansas for starting one and zero with a thirty eight sixteen beatdown, and I consider that a beatdown in Kansas's terms uh, <laughs> over Semo. And shout out to Purdue for looking respectable against uh, against Louisville. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Brom might have something brewing there down in West Lafayette. And Texas Tech laying it on uh, SCS Division Two power Eastern Washington, fifty-six <laughs> to ten. You know they they beat down on those Division Two teams. It's not it's not fun. Those SCS teams. Well, on that note, um, uh, on behalf of our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, and our offensive coordinator, the coach Corey Burton. Know it. This is the professor saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Rock Chalk. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.